Welcome to the Reconcile Community Church podcast. We hope and pray that the resources that will be shared on here would be a blessing to you. If you want more information or to support our church financially as we do the work in the beautiful Queen City of Cincinnati, Ohio, you can find more information about that at www.reconcilecincy.org. Be blessed. As we're jumping into our, our sermon series, I'm excited about this because I realized that I hadn't done this since 2019. Uh, but uh, every year we walk through our mission and our vision, um, and we talked about our core values earlier this year. You know, radical hospitality, empowering discipleship, authentic community. We talked a lot about that. But I realized that we never spent time since after, you know, uh, the world shut down and all this, spending time talking about our core beliefs. And so for the next month and some change, we will be looking at our core beliefs in the sermon series is entitled Foundations, talking about the building blocks of a strong church. So we all, every church has a statement of faith. The statement of faith is basically all of the declarations of what we believe. But then there are what we call core beliefs. Based on those, there are some things that churches will say, man, this is what makes us unique. We have specific beliefs about specific things that make us unique. We have seven of them. And so throughout the next month and some change, we'll walk through some of these core beliefs. The first one we'll talk about today is multi-ethnicity, multi-ethnicity. Now hear me before I start, multi-ethnicity isn't the end goal. We didn't plant the church just so that it could just be diverse. That's not the end goal. That's not even the reason why our name is Reconciled Community Church. Most people think we named ourselves Reconciled Community Church because it was all about, you know, diversity. It's not necessarily the case. It's found out in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 through 20, that you are reconciled to God. And then by extension, we get to be ambassadors helping reconcile each other uh, back to the Lord. And so that's why we got the name. But... We do fight for multi-ethnicity because we do believe that there is scriptural precedence for this to take place. And so what we're going to do throughout this sermon series, it's going to feel like, man, y'all going to be sitting in some lecture type stuff. And that's okay because I know y'all can handle it. I've built up y'all tolerance for this to handle this. But I think it's important for you to know some of the core beliefs and to help with that uh, on our website. um, Many people don't know this, but at the bottom, there is a recommendation list of all of the different books based off of our core beliefs. I'll be updating it. But just to let you know, this is just, you know, people think sermons just, you know, are easy to write. Um, So this is just a few of the books that I had referenced in relation to this sermon. Um, I'll put all of them on the website for you to peruse and see if you want to get. And of course, y'all know my library is always open. You just got to return my books. (laughs) But um, these help in framing up our conversation on multi-ethnicity. And then, of course, there are countless others that we will look at uh, throughout the time. And so every time we have a core belief, I'll give you a list of books that kind of strengthen what I'm saying. The main book that we're going to be looking at, though, is the scriptures. And for today, we're going to be all over the place. So I don't have just a set um, verse for us today. But humor me uh, as we talk about this idea of multi-ethnicity. Let's go before the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this moment now that as we transition into the word of God. 
Lord, I pray that you would open our ears to hear, that you would challenge us, that you convict us, but that at the same time that you would strengthen us, that we would fall more and more in love with you. Lord, I pray that it is to this end that you would be the hero, that as we share, that I share today, that that people wouldn't be um, enamored with me, but they would be enamored with you. We're thankful that in all these things, you've made it possible for us to be reconciled to you through your son. And we're thankful for that. And so now, Lord, I pray that you give me preaching power. It's in your son's name we pray and give thanks. Amen and amen. Not long after the famed I Have a Dream speech um, in Washington uh, that Dr. King in 1963, uh, ended up going to Western Michigan University to do this lecture on race. It was a Q&A section towards the end of his time with these students uh, where Dr. King was posed a question about Christians and their faith. And it was in this moment that Dr. King would share something that has literally haunted us, I would say, even to this day. As the question was posed to Dr. King, he would do what only Dr. King would do. He sat erect, kind of shuffled a little bit in the suit, looked at them, body erect, and he would say these words. He said, we must face the fact that in America, the church is still the most segregated major institution in America. At 11 a.m. on Sunday morning, when we stand and sing and Christ has no east or west, we stand at the most segregated hour in this nation and it's tragic. He said this back in 1963. And in a lot of ways, have there been progress? Yes. But to some degree, we still struggle with this statement. It's a prophetic statement from the drum major of justice. It hit on the slender nerve that the church has been trying to address. The answer to this criticism is one that I believe would help not only the church, but I would say uh, our communities and dare I say our own personal lives. That we must address this idea of what does it mean for us to be a church and not fight for unity multi-ethnicity, for there to be a space for anybody to come and worship and to commune with us. Now, don't get me wrong. I love this city. I love Cincinnati. I do. I've been able to live other places, and I have to say, Cincinnati is pretty dope. One of the best things that I love when I have to fly out of CVG is coming back into uh, Cincinnati, and you know what it's like when you come over that hill and you get to see the skyline. Cincinnati is amazing. It's one of the few cities where you have multiple professional teams that are here. You can watch MLS on one day, you can watch a Reds game, and then you can go to a Cincinnati Bengals game. They always got some kind of wrestling match going on. You got a hockey team. You got so much that's happening. OTR is totally, uh, you know, different. I left and came back and couldn't believe what I saw. You, you have Fortune 500 companies. You have Cincinnati on the rise. There's this idea that Cincinnati is one of the fastest growing cities in the country. This city is amazing. 
You got neighborhoods that 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 champion diversity and inclusion. You got like neighborhoods like Springdale and some of these other ones that are that are popping up and people from all over the nation are coming. They're living here. They're doing life here. And it's cool. But after you leave that FC Cincinnati game, after you leave that Reds game, after you leave eating from, you know, eating at the Eagle down on OTR, we all are faced with this same reality that for the most part, when we go back to our daily lives, after these tidbits of, 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 of a splash of the mosaic, the beautiful mosaic of what uh, is to offer, we go back to pretty segregated lives. We feel this tension. Even some of us in this room and many others, we worship at churches that look really cool. That may be majority mono ethnic and we may have a sprinkling of others and we like excited on Sunday. And some of us worship in these spaces. Reconcile is not exempt from this. Our friendships, for the most part, on our jobs may be diverse. But when we leave these places, we go back to the same old people who look just like us, who do life just like us, the same type of people who vote just like us, who see the world just like us. There's this idea there's this, this, this tension, this dilemma where we do life in pockets and spurts diverse, but when we think about just the normal everyday affairs of our lives, they're pretty non-diverse. And the reality is our city still feels this. As much as we are progressing as a city, as much as we are like, you know, seeing all of this stuff, there's still this rumbling undercurrent. There's like, there's still people who are undervalued and underserved. There's still people who seem like they're overlooked. There's still these racial dynamics that we still face. Neighborhoods are still very much segregated like they used to. Some people stay on this side of the tracks and other people stay on this side of the tracks. We still have this groaning of brokenness. This is a tough message to preach. This is a tough dynamic to deal with. Because I'm not necessarily railing on homogeneous churches or even on, our, on ourselves. But what I am saying is that I believe that the reason that our city still wrestles with all of these tensions is because we've been trying to do a lot of fixing the problem but not addressing the source the root cause of it. It was George Yancey in his book. It's called uh, Beyond the Racial Gridlock. It's one of these books under here. He says this, Christians argue with Christians as much as non-Christians argue with each other uh, because the solutions we propose are not based on Christian values, but more on worldly presumptions. Where we're trying to figure out how do we fix this situation? Why can't we have the beloved community? In a lot of ways, we're trying to get the beloved community without Jesus. We're just trying to do what is next. What, 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 what's, the, what's the next best snazzy thing that we can do to get people together? But what we're realizing is it takes more than just getting people together. 
not knocking some of the stuff that we have, because there are some things that are happening in our city that is great. But I do believe that there is an opportunity for a church from its inception to be honest and to be intentional about being um, to being diverse and being uh, open and welcoming from the beginning. We're saying, you know, we're going to learn what it means to be multi-ethnic in a lifestyle, meaning that we're going to be intentional with our relationships. We're going to intentionally from its inception, we're going to constantly live our lives with this open door mentality that I believe could help us. Because here's the reality. I want to throw some stats at you. Some of these you would have heard before, but less than 4% of American churches are integrated which means racially mixed congregations defined as one racial group not having more than 80% of its people. It's the 80-20 principle. So only 4% of churches will hit this bar, and that's low. So that's if it's 100 people coming to the church, 80 of them are from one ethnicity. It can't be 81. It can't be 82. They say in order for you to be deemed multi-ethnic, hear me, 80% of the congregation can be of one ethnicity. The other 20 can be, quote unquote, other. They're saying only 4% of churches are like that, that hit this multi-ethnic mark. By 2050, you've heard this over and over again, the majority of U.S. residents will be non-white. Minorities, now roughly one-third of the U.S. population, are expected to become the majority in 2042, with the nation projected to be 54% minority in 2050. By 2023, which is next year, minorities will compromise, comprise more than half of all children. Our country's becoming more diverse. But simultaneously, we are still dealing with segregation and, and these schisms. There hasn't been this idea of us really coming together and do life. There is a problem that the church can address. And dare I say, I think it's the church that should be leading the charge. If you were to sum up why Reconciled Community Church is fighting for multi-ethnicity, we would say that it's summed up this way, because God is for it and we are called to bring his kingdom here on earth. Like if that, that, if that was the big idea, like that, that, why is it that Reconciled Community Church has a core emphasis, a core belief on multi-ethnicity? Because God's for it. Scriptures are replete with it, and I'm going to share with you. But then we cannot say simultaneously that we are imitators of Christ and yet not imitate what he did. He prayed in a high priestly prayer, your kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I just gave you a glimpse of what heaven is supposed to be like. And so why is it a foundation? How is it that we can hang a core value of radical hospitality here at Reconciled Community Church? Because we believe in multi-ethnicity. Because we believe that there is an opportunity for all people to have an opportunity to uh, receive love and hospitality uh, from the people of God. This is why it's a core belief. Now, there are three reasons. I'll give you three reasons why we believe that the scriptures point to this case of multi-ethnicity. And I know what you're thinking. I said, we got to talk about this today. 
I thought you was going to give me like hope on, 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 on something else. You know, I'm having trouble with my job and this and the other. No, I think that there's some awesome opportunity and some application towards the end of this that will help you in those situations. But I think that if we have this core impetus of understanding why it is important for us to open up our eyes, to begin to build and have relationships with other people who don't look like us, I think it helps us to be able to better navigate this life that we live in. But what do I mean by multi-ethnicity? There's what a, what's true and what's not. Whenever you hear about this idea of multi-ethnicity, you can get the idea that you want diversity for diversity's sake. We see this knee-jerk reaction now in society, especially in businesses. They'll hire people and they'll call them DEIs and they say we're going to be diverse. And it's really they just want people in the space. We can say amen or we can say ouch. Diversity for diversity's sake is just like when you go to that sporting event. When the Bengals was on that rise, y'all know how it was last year. It was magical. I had friends texting me from all over the country like, I can't believe what Cincinnati's doing. I'm like, me neither. This is amazing. <laughs> but you would go to a game and it would be all type of people in the room. It would be all type of people in the stadium. I mean, y'all got season tickets. I know y'all was in there excited, right? Like there, there would be all types of people in there celebrating their team, clapping, y'all hugging each other and everything. It's the most amazing thing that has ever happened. Chris and I got to experience that in Memphis when the Memphis Grizzlies were going in the playoff run. And it was crazy because Memphis was so segregated. But for those moments while the Grizzlies were going through, man, it was people high-fiving and hugging. They kissing each other in the streets. It didn't make no sense. We like, boy, y'all can't stand each other. But it was a one-time thing. It was good for a pitcher. But then we go back home. We were diverse. It was multi-ethnic. But you don't know those people. You don't know what makes them excited or what makes them sad. You don't know what they're dealing with. You're not an actual family member with them. Like there's no, there's no, there's nothing but just the event that you gather around. That's not what we're talking about here. This idea of fighting for multi-ethnicity is in real time this idea of like cheers, where you go into a place and somebody knows your name. That's why we got an idea of a core value called authentic community, where you can come into a space and people know you. They have relationship with you. As Dr. Uh, Brian Loritz, now I can call him that because he is a for real doctor now, uh, he always states this multiple times. This idea of authentic multi-ethnicity can be summed up like this. He would say, we move from more than just brothers and sisters in Christ to brothers and sisters going to those of opposite races saying, I want to marry into your family and move to become your brother or sister-in-law. It's deeper than just an event. I'm not impressed when we just come in here on Sunday and we just get to sit with each other. And usually on Sundays, it'd be all type of people sitting in here. That's cool. But what does it look like Monday through Saturday? Because that's what matters. 
that this is an everyday, everyday thing, as Christian hip-hop artist Andy Minio said, that this is an everyday thing. So why do we fight? I'm glad you asked. Now we can get into the meat of the text. First, we do this because eternity points us to this reality. You've been walking with us to Reconcile Community Church for any stretch of time. You know what everything that I'm about to share with you. That if you were to look back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 27, you get this familiar passage of scripture. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to, the like, to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Now, we can fight about what this means and the back and forth and this and the other. I don't think it's much that we can fight about, but we can see what this is, this creation account. The masterpiece, the, the, the centerpiece of creation was found on this day when he created man. And what separated us from everything else that he created was that he made us in his image. It's this fancy Latin word called it imago day, the imago day, that essentially you got God's fingerprint stamped on you, that there's something about you that differentiates everything else in creation. In fact, after you were created, he says, man, things are very good. Kind of sits back and does a chef's kiss. That it's interesting that you get the creation account in chapter one, but then in chapter two, you get this beautiful picture of what took place, that the only things that, that, that God seemed to have formed with his hands was humanity. This beauty that is found in this, and this is called the Imago Dei. Our ability to think and empathize and rationalize, and we have some other exclusive traits, they all point us to this reality that we are made in God's image that we share in his fingerprint, which means all of us are valuable. When you look back at that text, it didn't say that he made white man or black man or uh, Hispanic man or, um, or any other ethnicity just in his image, that there was only one set of people that was made in his image. No, it doesn't say that. It says he made man, humanity, plural, people, all creation, man in his image. We all have that fingerprint. Although we have been marred by sin, there is still the image. Even though it may be broken, you are still made in the image and likeness of God. So even that crazy co-worker that you don't agree with at all, made in the image and likeness of God. That person who doesn't see the world the way you see who hates the even the opportunity, he even hates, you know, the idea of Christianity. It's made in his image. The people who you look at and you like, mm, made in his image. Sometimes we got to sit with that. It's good for us personally to know that we made in his image, but it's another thing when we realize that our enemies are made in his image too. The Imago Dei does not get to choose. It's all of us have been made in the image and likeness of God, which means that we cannot overlook anyone. We cannot ignore anyone, but everyone is welcome into this blessed community, community because of the Imago Dei. 
This is why we fight against and we condemn the ills of slavery that has taken place in the past. Why? Because there was a disruption in this idea of the Imago Dei. People are not cattle. People are people made in the image and likeness of God. We all have this inherent value because we have God's fingerprint. There's space at the table for all of us because of what Christ has done. For those of us who put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, there is a seat at the table for you. But there's something else that's beautiful here. I knew we would get that part because in the Western construct, we love individualism. We, we love this idea that it's just about us. This idea that the Imago Dei is deeply individualistic. We're like, yes, amen. But one of the things that we have to understand about this scripture in this text is that it's written in Hebrew. And in order for us to understand uh, what is said here, we got to know a little bit about the Hebrew culture. And one of the things that we know is that they're deeply communal people. So a lot of times when you're reading commands, when you're reading, especially in the New Testament, a lot of times when you get these commands, they're written in the plural tense for a group of people. Like when we walk through the book of, Eph uh, of Ephesians, that was written to a church. Most of the epistles are written to churches. And some of the commands in there are plural, meaning all of you do this. And this is important for us when we think about this. Because there's this beautiful thing what we see in the text when it says that God created man and woman in his image. He says in, our, in, in the image, we, he created all things. It's deeply communal. That yeah, you individually have this fingerprint, but us collectively have a fingerprint as well. This is what I love about this. This is what I love about this particular text. When you think about this idea, when we come together as followers of Jesus Christ and we are together, there's this beautiful mosaic of God's image that is seen. There's a fuller picture that comes to the scene. So, for example, uh, um, let me let me show you. Let, let me see if I can. Uh, it's not in here because the, the things are not updated. But you've ever seen those mosaic pictures where it'd be a bunch. It'd be a one big picture, but it'd be a bunch of little pictures. Once you look inside of it, you look close and you're like, man, that looks like another person or that looks like this. But when you step back, you see this beautiful picture. This is the beauty of Genesis chapter one, verse 26 through 27. That, yeah, there's this beauty that is found inherently within you, that you are made in the image and likeness of God. But there's something about when the body of Christ comes together, where we get to see a fuller picture of the image and likeness of God. And we need everybody in that picture. That's what's so beautiful. Why do we fight for it? Because it's written even in the beginning of the text. When your first page of your Bible, you flip it over and it's pointing to this reality. And sometimes we miss it. Dr. Soon-Shang Ra uh, is a, a theologian. He has a book called Many Colors. And, and he says this in, in his book that I think is important for us here. He says, cultures, therefore, are not inherently evil, but rather are an expression by fallen humanity to live into a, the high calling of the Imago Dei. We need not view culture with an all bad perspective, but instead as a sincere, albeit fallen, attempt to reflect God's image through the process of creativity. 
Our goal in cultural intelligence, therefore, is not to erase cultural difference, but rather to seek ways to honor the presence of God in different cultures. What is he getting at? That there is this inherent beauty that God made you that way. And he's like, we don't want to disband that. We don't want to think of this as a whitewashed deal where we're all going to be just uniform. We're not talking about uniformity. We're talking about unity. There's a difference. Uniformity makes everyone one thing. Unity says we're all different, but we can still come together. And what we see in the text and what we'll see over and over and over again is this beauty in unity that the church is supposed to be united. That we can celebrate that your skin is black and beautiful. We can celebrate that you are, uh, you know, you are Italian or you're this or you're that. Like we can celebrate these things because they give us a fuller picture of the image and likeness, the creativity of our God is on display. But we see this in eternity as well. Revelation chapter 7, I already read it to you in your hearing, but it's interesting. John is looking up into heaven and he's getting this revelation and essentially he see all type of people. You're like, man, it's all... I, at one point, he just say every tribe, because if he would have just the number, he couldn't do it. He like, it's just it's a lot of others. It's just everybody is up here. There's there's representation of all people here. And they're worshiping together. Here's the thing that's beautiful. They ain't just focused on just their, their skin. They ain't worried about just the differences. They probably speaking in all these different languages. But what is unifying them? The throne, the lamb. They're there worshiping God together. What unites them? Jesus. That's what I said earlier. If you, you, you get all, you know, people feel all in a way because, you know, certain people come together and people may not be polished or, you know, there may be somebody that you like, man, it looked like they just vote different than me. And you got a problem worshiping with them. You're going to have anxiety attacks in heaven. Because eternity speaks to this. But let me cut across the field because I've been I've been I've been in here long. The second point is the early church's emphasis was centered around it. I want you to listen to Acts chapter 2. Again, we've talked about this. We've preached this. I've preached this passage, Acts chapter 2. I've, I've shared this with you. You've heard about this. This is what happens on Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly they came from heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were seated. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them. And rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We've already talked about this part. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each of them were hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Hear what it says now next. And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Listen to the call here. 
Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judah and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the other parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God and are all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Here's the beautiful thing here. We talk about, you know, the birth of the church and 3000 people got saved. But but here's the thing that I, I wanted to bring to your attention. It was 3000 folk. Who was all different. <laughs> you see, we got to remember that when you see something in a text, especially when you start seeing all these different ethnicities, that's not on that's that's on purpose. That's not by happenstance. Luke made clear that you knew who was all in this space who were hearing the good news of the God. He didn't have to leave that in. He could have took it out. But it's the point to this reality that even in the inception of the early church, there was this opportunity for everybody to hear the good news of the gospel. And he says 3,000 people became the impetus behind this new church. We always talk about we want to be go back to be the church in Acts. And, and I tell people, <laughs> OK, because we see snapshots of this church and we know, yes, we should be fighting to be like the church in Acts. But what I also want to bring to your attention is that it was it was a lot going on. And if you want to be like the church in Acts, you better be prepared for a lot of persecution. It was a lot that took place. But there's something that we see here that is important. And it's the formation. The innocent inception. A body of believers came together from all walks of life. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Jesus gave the disciples a command to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And literally what he's getting them to understand is that you don't need to stay in this bubble with people who just like look like you. I need you to go out. And then he leaves. And they're sitting in this upper room and then this happens. And here's the beautiful thing about this, because when you look at this particular passage, it, it's beautiful. It's all inspiring. All of these different ethnicities have people represented that are hearing the gospel message and they're responding in faith. But if as you look at this particular passage in Acts chapter two, I need you to be reminded of a promise that was given in Genesis chapter 12, where Abraham is standing there and he's looking up and God says, you are going to be a blessing to all nations. That there's going to be this opportunity that, that, the, that the people of God would be expanding and there will be a blessing to others around. And this is taking place that this is being fulfilled and that this new family would be, uh, and this expression would be called the kingdom of God. That in essence, there would be a restoration of what happened in Genesis chapter one and 26 and 27. Jesus, where God commanded to Adam and Eve to go and be fruitful and multiply, that we get to see this take place. Your Bible is connected. It was multi-ethnic. Now, you hear me talking about all of this, but is this easy? No. But nothing in life is easy. Being a pastor of a multi-ethnic church is hard. Extremely hard. If it was easy, as the old saying would say, everybody would be trying to do it. It's difficult. 
Because you got dynamics that are at play that you never consider. You have cultural dynamics that take place that you ain't even thinking about. You got viewpoints on life that up until that point, you may have never even thought existed. But it's worthwhile. Again, I call back to uh, scholar Dr. Susan Sean Ra. He says the call to build a multi-ethnic, multicultural, ra racially reconciled church is an extremely high calling. There are numerous obstacles in society and in our human nature that would prevent us from living into God's calling for our church. We must recognize, however, that this calling to be a diverse community that truly represents the kingdom of God requires great sacrifice. The deeply seated demonic power of racism cannot be overthrown without a great cost. That as a church, it's going to come with sacrifice. I've told many of y'all, man, when we get worship leaders and stuff, it's going to be people with guitars. And then at some point, we got drum sets and we got a piano and everything. We got all type of stuff. The worship may not be exactly what you want. Our small groups will be made up of people who may not think like you. We're going to have potlucks and all these different things. And people going to be bringing stuff. Y'all going to be like, mm. But that's all a part of it. Because it's an expression that, man, we are opening ourselves up to. There's something beautiful about when we come together in that rich mosaic. Third and finally, let me share this with you. We are commanded to pursue this. Did you know this? You're commanded. <laughs> Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is the Great Commission. And, uh, and, you know, I tell people all the time, um, this is the great commission, not the great suggestion. <laughs> I'm going to read to you what it say. Don't be mad at me. Be mad at Jesus. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded to you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I get it. Some of us are like, man, I'm, I'm shy. I'm introverted. I don't really like people like that. You know, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm not gifted. You know, there's some people who got the gift of evangelism. Pastor, that's not me. Um, I would love to say that you're an exception to the rule, but this is a command. All of us are called to make disciples. And it's beautiful because the Great Commission says, as you are going, meaning that discipleship is not necessarily a class you take, but it's a lifestyle you live. We'll talk more about disciple making later on because it is one of our core beliefs here. But in essence, I want you to notice what it says of all nations. Did you know that the nations are at your doorstep? I could probably canvas just y'all schools alone that some of y'all work in. Or just in your jobs, that there are people from all walks of life that you get to see every single day. You don't got to get on a plane and go overseas. This idea for us to make disciples of all nations happens when we begin to see this opportunity that we have been given by God to make disciples happens as we are going. Meaning that we need to radically look at how we are living our lives. Are we living lives with blinders where we're not acknowledging the people around us? Or are we looking at our lives like missionaries where we can see that, man, look, God is giving us a gift. To be able to go and to be able to share and to build deep relationships with people who are different than us. One of the guys who helped me grow in my faith a good deal is a guy by the name of Sue Campbell. 
and uh super crazy you know crazy brother in memphis tennessee um and uh I, I look back fondly over my time with him he always used to tell us we can start reaching the world by engaging in the context where our feet hit the ground did you want to make disciples of them? he says we can do that wherever your feet hit the ground We want to be unashamedly doing and living and representing Christ. And we cannot say that we are imitators of Christ and yet not be intentionally fighting for multi-ethnic relationships, both individually and corporately. Even though we are in a community that is historically African-American, there is still opportunity for us to build deep relationships and anyone at this church is welcome. But that ain't going to happen on a fancy bumper sticker or slogan. That's going to happen because we're actively engaging in relationships in our day-to-day lives. That people are being invited and saying there is space for you here. Because at the end of the day, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10 is true. I've said it to you before. Jesus said in his high priestly prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should be those agents that are trying to pull a little bit of heaven down here on earth. There should be something about when we come together on Sunday morning where people get a glimpse of coming attractions. I love going to the movies. One of the things that I love about the movies is that they give you trailers for new movies that are coming out. Sometimes the trailers be better than the actual movies. But there's something about that. They, they whet your appetite. I don't know if you've seen the new Avatar trailer because it's Avatar 2 coming out if y'all didn't know that. Spoiler alert, it's coming. But that trailer is amazing. Like the colors are vivid. I ain't going to give it away. I'll let you go find it on. You can find it on YouTube. I'm sure somebody, you know, none already put it on there. But it's vivid. It begins to tell you part of the story. There's an intrigue and mystery to it. So much so that you are kind of drawn into this trailer in so much way that you're like, man, I just want to see the movie. That's what happened every Sunday when we gather together. That people come together and they're like, man, this is different. It's something about this that's palatable that I can feel. Like there's something about all of these people coming together. And I know they don't all see that. Like it's just something different. And it whets the appetite of those in their soul to say, I want whatever this is. That as we're doing life with one another and as you're building relationships with one another, there should be something that is so appealing about your life. The fact that you have all it, a good calling card, a good apologetic for a Christian. Honestly, it's deep multi-ethnic relationships. This isn't in the manuscript, but uh, I have good friends um, that, that people used to scratch their heads at when uh, when I was in college. I got saved and I was a part of an organization called Athletes in Action. It's a derivative of an organization called Campus Crusade for Christ. And, uh, and, and people used to always like, man, this is a crazy group of people that are coming together. And so it would be me, my redheaded friend named Andrew Stemmel, who probably watching this at some point, uh, had Corey Toy, who was a hockey guy. Uh, you had Elon Sims. You had all of these different guys. We we were all different ethnicities. It was crazy. We were all together. I mean, it was just so different that people would be like, what they on? This is weird. Like they, some of them grew up and they knew from the hood and hard places. Some of them were wealthy beyond measure. Like, you know, we didn't, I mean, we definitely were all over the spectrum. 
But what united us together, we all love Jesus. And people wanted to be in with us because it was this, this eclectic group of people who were doing life. We did everything together. And people were like, why? But they wanted in on it. Even at my wedding, people were like, who are these people? My brothers. And it, it sparked in some people, even in our own family, like this is different. But I want something like that. So what is the application for you today? I know you're thinking about, okay, so what does all this mean for me? What does all of this mean for me? Let, let me share with you three things, three points of application that will help you uh, as we are preparing to head out of here. Um, here, here are three things that I want to uh, share with you based off of this core belief. Here are three things that I want you to do. Begin to canvas your relationships and circles. When you look at the circles, when I'm talking about circles, I'm talking about your relationships, the people that you do life with. I, I want you to begin to ask yourself this question. Do they reflect the mosaic of God? The relationships that I have, do they reflect the mosaic of God? If not, who are some of those people that you can begin to intentionally build a real relationship with? Not as a project, but as a person to love. As you're canvassing your relationships and circles, I want you to begin to ask yourself this question. Who have you written off or overlooked? So I want you to canvass your relationships. The second thing I want you to do is to expand your dinner tables. This is very practical. Again, multiple scholars have written about this idea that there's something beautiful about a shared meal. I'll share with you again Dr. Sunjan Ra's moment here. He says this, some of the best moments in life of a multi-ethnic church are in the sharing of meals. He went on to say this, without a shared table fellowship, a major gap develops in the church community, particularly multicultural community. The power of table fellowship is the power of hospitality. There's just something beautiful about that that takes place. So the question that I want you to consider is who can you invite into your home? or into your space. And as a church, we'll begin to do things like this in September. We just provide spaces for people to connect, to build with one another. But then lastly, make it a habit to reflect on the gospel to fuel your resolve to live intentionally. Andy Stanley's made it, said it best. He said, vision leaks. And so it's true. Sometimes we forget about the, um, about the power of the gospel. And so in order for us to live gospel-centered lives, one of the implications of this is that we be reminded that because of Christ dying in our place and for our sins, he tore down the wall of hostility that held us against one another. And because of this opportunity that that wall has been torn down, it means that we have an opportunity to build relationships with anybody and that it would be the spirit that would give us everything that we need to be able to do that. That there's no limits, there's no uh, person that's off limits, that there's no schism that is deep enough to keep us divided because Jesus smashed it on the cross. And as we reflect in this fact, uh, not only that we've been reconciled to God, but uh, as a community, we've been reconciled. It should fuel us to move forward. And so my hope and my prayer is that we would move differently because we understand a foundational belief like this. My hope and my prayer is not only that Reconciled Community Church would be a church that would be multi-ethnic, 
But my hope and my prayer is that our lives will become multi-ethnic. That they will become a powerful testimony to the power of the gospel working in us. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for this opportunity to be reminded of your goodness. We're thankful for this core belief of multi-ethnicity. We're thankful that throughout the scriptures, woven throughout the narrative, is this idea of people from other uh, tribes and tongues coming together. Lord, I'm thankful that you include us in it. Lord, I'm thankful that the gospel reminds us that no ism is stronger than what Christ has done on the cross. That because of Christ dying in our place and for our sins, that's not, that there's an opportunity for all of us to come together. And so, Father, I pray that this will challenge us to be able to broaden our horizons, to find opportunities for us to be intentional to build relationships with others who don't look like us. What a powerful apologetic for the church to be one that we would be open and honest and have deep relationships with others. And so now, Lord, I pray that you give us boldness in these steps, knowing that it's not gonna be easy, knowing that it may be awkward, but at the same time, knowing that you are good and that you're for this. Lord, I pray that we would get a foretaste of what is to come every time we gather together as a church. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for this moment that we have to be reminded of this. It's in your son's name we pray and give thanks. Amen and amen.